0: Our doctor is in, and so are the doctors of Capital Health. Welcome to the all-new Health 411. Every Sunday morning at 10, Dr. Jonathan Carp, along with our respected panel of guests from Capital Health, take you on an important medical journey to help you navigate your health and the healthcare system to reach your destination: good health. Health 411 is underwritten by Capital Health, minds advancing medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology.
1: 1077 The Bronx, 1077 TheBronx.com proudly nominated for a National Association of Broadcasters 2019, 2021, and 2022 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station, as well as a 2023 IBS College Media Award. We are broadcasting from the Bronx All-Digital Studios on the campus of Ryder University in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Welcome to Health 411. I'm your host, Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by Capital Health. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the science of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand your knowledge and perspective. Today, our student producer, Dan Geller, and I are joined by our guest, Joe Buffone. Welcome, Joe. Joe is the co-founder Thanks. and CEO of Anexus Health, um, and I'm going to start by... Uh, asking you two questions and we're going to we're, we're going to let Joe uh, take roll with it a little bit because we're going to be talking in a general sort of way about using technology to help patients and um, and healthcare workers. And so, Joe, can you tell us uh, what is a Nexus Health? What do you guys do and how you sort of became the co-founder of this company?
2: For sure, so first of all, thanks for having me guys, I really appreciate it. And Nexus Health is a technology company and a services company. So to keep it as short as possible, our goal through our technology and our people is to reduce financial toxicities, administrative toxicities that encumber the patient's care journey. Now, what does that mean? So ultimately, we focus on complex disease states. We started in the area of cancer and have branched out into 13 other disease states. And you guys know probably all too well that care, healthcare, is not cheap. And when you get a diagnosis like cancer or a, you know a diagnosis in the area of nephrology, urology. Um, in in many different disease states, like rheumatoid arthritis, gastroenterology, I can go on and on, it becomes even more challenging from a financial perspective. So we built this company and started with the idea that there are so many things that are required as part of managing the patient's care journey that are administrative and logistically um, founded and there, isn't, there aren't good tools available to help providers and patients do these things. So that's what we're solving for. Ultimately, there is wonderful help available from a financial perspective, whether it be through pharmaceutical companies, all types of manufacturers, charitable foundations, but it's very, very difficult to really comprehensively manage access and make sure that the resources are utilized effectively. So ultimately, we help providers with our technology and our services, make sure what's available in financial assistance is managed wholly and completely. What's available in that moment in time for that patient or over time as the patient needs it, and then making sure it's managed effectively, making sure it's utilized so that the provider ultimately is whole because it's much more difficult to practice medicine in today's world than it was before and then ultimately reduce the financial burdens for patients. So that's what we're doing right now. We have designs on doing much more and going into other areas that are challenging related to managing the patient's care journey. The remote nature of patients that are on oral therapeutics, the testing and diagnostic space is creating all kinds of logistical logjams, the cell and gene space. So those are some of the areas that we have our sights set on. But right now, just to bring you back to what we're doing, we are managing, through our tech and our people, financial assistance, wholly and completely, and reducing the burdens associated with what we call financial toxicities the burden of paying for care. And, and I, I,
1: that sounds like a, 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 a noble thing, and I want to hear more about it and, and how it works. But is this something that has always been um, on your radar, uh, your experience. How did you find this as a career pursuit? Like, did at some point did you leave college and say, "Oh my God, this is this 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 is the this is a field that nobody else is in, and I've just got to start a company that does this"?
2: No way. <laughs> you knew the answer to that already, though, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think ultimately I, I stumbled upon this with my co-founder Brad Frazier, um, through personal experience and then through professional experience. So when I'm asked um, how to, to, to find your passion and then invest in that passion, create a business around it and make a difference, um, I probably would have gone about it a little bit differently because the personal experience of having my mother diagnosed with uh, cancer And then getting through it, but in a really difficult way, having folks like my grandfather diagnosed with cancer, not managed effectively and passing away from it, I can go on and on. So personal experiences led me to this place where, wow, it seems as though it should be easier to manage the patient's care. And so I remember as a very young man thinking it has to be different. It should be different. And then I took a job in the pharmaceutical industry and I did a bunch of different things in the pharmaceutical industry and it's wild how my personal experience started to collide with my professional experience. And I had the opportunity to get exposed to things like access services, reimbursement services. I had a wonderful experience um, leading relationships with advocacy groups and watching people, do advocacy on behalf of patients for a living. And it so moved me, I think it really stirred me to start thinking more globally around, what do I want to do? And that was later in life. It was after years and years of experience. And I stepped out as an operator um, and worked with some really cool people, really smart people around data to help improve access to care for patients. And that wasn't enough for me, I I, um, spent a lot of time with my co-founder again, Brad Frazier, ideating and thinking about what needs to be done in this space. And we kept coming back to the administrative and logistical challenges. We kept coming back to access to care. Once a decision is made, then what happens? A lot of times it falls apart. So it was really a professional and personal journey that led to relationships, people, and experience that ultimately sparked something to invest a whole lot, a whole lot of time and a whole mm-hmm. lot of money in this journey in XSL.
1: And so it, it sounds like, too, because your entry into pharma was not on the science side. It sounds like it was on the business side com- completely. Is that, is, that, is that correct? 100%. 100%. Yeah. That's wow, 100%, and, yeah. and and just for students who might be listening, um, in your journey, I don't know if it was one pharmaceutical company or many, but was it three years, five years, eight years? Um, what was what what was it sort of the time frame of the learning curve as you kept your antenna up for what your next step might be?
2: Yeah, it was twenty plus about that, okay. and uh, it's it's really funny because so many times in my journey, I kept asking myself why am I continuing to do this, right? Whether it be frustration or not feeling completely fulfilled professionally. um, I kept asking myself the question, why am I continuing to do this? And what do I really want to do? And I couldn't fully answer those questions. And I can tell you that, you know, to this day, I'll tell you, I can't understand how I spent that much time in the areas I spent, except, One of the things I can tell you that has led me to this place is my experiences. So no matter how early I would have liked to exit the pharma (laughs) industry, and ultimately I, I love the pharma industry. It did so much for me. I think the pharma industry is at the center of innovative care and reshaping how patients are cared for. But ultimately I wanted to do something different and something more. And the only thing that allowed me to do that was that next experience, the next experience. So I think that as I think about the core things that got me to this place, it was developing my passion, right? It was developing a passion for something that I was willing to pour into. And then the experiences that come along with that, the experience, the learning to give you the ability to not just care about something, but to care about something and really do something about it. And then I think ultimately, I just had this burning desire for forever to make a difference. And then my list and set of experiences led me to a place to identify with my, uh, this is the third time I'm going to reference him, my really good friend and co-founder, Brad Frazier, (laughs) to identify the gap and go after it. Excellent.
1: And so part of one of the things you started out with is saying, um, a Nexus Health is a little bit of a tech company. So along the way, did you did you learn the, the technology that would be needed for this vision or was that your was that your part of the partnership or was that your partners?
2: Yeah, no, that's more Brad um, okay. and Brad's a self-made technologist, but okay. both of us had a, a tech slant on this. Right. Because we know the space really well and the tech involved in providing care through, let's say, a community provider or institution or health system has three main enterprise platforms. That's the electronic health record, that's the revenue cycle management system, and it's the pharmacy dispensing software. So we had, collectively, an intimate knowledge of the processes, the workflow, the technology that was utilized. And in our um, area of medicine, technology is way underutilized. I mean, one of our biggest competitors when we entered the space was the frickin' fax machine, right? <laughs> so it was a deep understanding of the tech of the lack of tech in this space uh-huh. and then the self-taught nature of what it took to be a tech company. And we're not a little bit of a tech company. We are a tech company. And we added our services division just because we saw gaps in the market around whether it be staffing or qualified staff to do the work. So, um, the technology approach to this came from the understanding that there needed to be tooling to allow for compression of workflow, to m- allow for more efficiencies. And so it was that understanding, and then the experience that my um, the Brad had in within an EHR company helped us, I think, collaborate and create again, the foundational technology that exists for an access ex- health that we continue to expand and on. And I
1: am going to probe you a little bit on that technology, about what it's about, who your customers really are, how you're pulling the three different aspects of healthcare together. But we need to take a break for some underwriting announcements. We'll be right back on Health 411. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077 The Bronx. There's Bronch. no appointment
0: needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health Minds Advancing Medicine.
1: 1077 The Bronx, 1077TheBronx.com. We are recording from the Digital Bronx Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. We're having a conversation today with Joe Buffone, the co-founder and CEO of Anexus Health. And as we heard in the last segment, Anexus Health is pulling together sort of things to do with patient care, office resources, and medicine distribution for his company, Nexus Health. Um, and he was starting to get into it, and we had to take a break. Can you tell us a little bit um, in, in, in more detail what this pro- – who, who buys your product, and what does it look for for both the patient and, I guess, the, 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 the healthcare providers?
2: Yeah, so first of all, our business model is a SaaS, so software as a service okay. to provider organizations. That means somebody that has a private practice, oncology, rheumatology, gastroenterology, whatever it may, practice that is treating patients, or it could be a health system, institution, and ultimately they pay us a licensing fee to utilize our software to manage all aspects of financial assistance. And so we put things into four buckets. Searching for what's available, enrolling patients into the program, tracking to make sure that if you get a copay award that you use it, right? And in the disease states that we operate in, typically there's a buy and bill element to it, right? So meaning the physician organization is purchasing maybe a chemotherapy, they're infusing it and they're billing an insurer or the patient for it, or they have a dispensing pharmacy where they're actually dispensing prescriptions out of the pharmacy. So they have to manage the economics of this they're billing payers right and if there isn't a payer that is able to pick up the entire bill then it goes to the patient so ultimately we're managing financial assistance as another payer and that needs to be tracked you need to make sure that the bills are going out the door and the remittances are coming home and you analyze that over and over again and that's our what our technology does for providers now i mentioned we have a services division and the reason we launched the services division is because people are struggling using technology. And if you got somebody that's using a spreadsheet or using Post-it notes or the free text notes section in the EHR for 30 years, it's hard to get them to shift. So ultimately, we sat alongside folks. And we go in and we take it over start to finish. Utilize our technology and tooling to make sure, again, the revenue stream from financial assistance is going to provider organizations and make sure that we're removing the financial burden for the patient where there isn't enough insurance where there is no insurance we actually make most of our money though i probably shouldn't say that out loud but no i'm, I'm a capitalist at heart right. i'm here to change the world and you do, but and you do, and you do i need have to make money to you change the world company, right yes, yes so ultimately we charge a transaction fee to life science to pharmaceutical organizations when we connect with their access services, their copay services, their free drug services, their reimbursement services, their nurse coordinator services. And we ultimately bring them electronically into the user experience and the workflow for provider organizations to manage all of this start to finish for patients. So, and so we're charging yeah. pharma a transaction model, and then it's a SaaS or services percent of mm-hmm. revenue um, to providers.
1: Okay. So I'm going to, a- I'm just going to try to connect this to the sort of the back the end user experience. When you watch TV, you see commercials for new drugs that are being developed, sometimes for clinical trials. And they say things like on the bottom, you know, if you need help paying for your medication, you know, contact the pharmaceutical industry, contact this. But it sounds like if if there's 100 different pharma companies, nobody keeps track of all those different ways of paying for the medicine. It sounds like that's what your program does.
2: Am I? Am I, am I am that's a big, Jonathan. That's a big part of the front end, right? Okay. So that's the front end of what we do. Okay. Um, but you're absolutely right. I love that you say hundreds, right? It's mm-hmm. hundreds. Actually, we manage the content on a couple thousand different options that exist wow. there. Okay. And, and it's all one off, right? And it's not just like one manufacturer. Often it's different programs for different products. So you nailed it. It's very disparate and very fragmented. Mm-hmm. Are you
1: connected to the world of clinical trials as well in terms of finding patients with certain profiles for studies that might be going on? Is that a thing that happens?
2: You know, you know, we get, ask that all the time, Jonathan, and I know why you're asking, but as you think about it, right, the challenge of getting patients enrolled into into, um, clinical trials, but I mentioned from the top that we're here to solve for not only financial toxicities, but administrative toxicities, so it's something that we've heard over time. It's not on our roadmap, but I think long-term, maybe five years out, we might need to start thinking about it, but that is something that needs to be solved for in the space as well, and there are others out there working on that. Okay.
1: Excellent. So you could certainly grow room for growth. There's always room for more. <laughs> Add some some sort, some sort of things. So um, also on the on the patient side, uh, a patient hears a diagnosis of cancer or, or something like that, and you know the example is the patient. After that, everything that the doctors and nurses say after that is. You know, it's like dog language because the person's sort of That's in true. shock. Does your package and software um, sort of address that and like behind have things going that as things settle for, down for the patient and the patient's family um, that allow them to address uh, both the medical aspect of the care and the financial aspect of the care? Is that something
2: you think yeah, about? Yeah, you nailed another you nailed another key part of this, right? Because you're absolutely right. If Whether it's the patient or the caregiver, right? Mm-hmm. Sitting alongside of them, they only hear the diagnosis and they start to think, what does this mean to my life? And then they don't hear anything else, especially the things like, okay, we have to develop a plan. What is your insurance? We're going to verify you have insurance. We're going to see what you're eligible for. We're going to get authorizations for what it is that we want to do with and for you, and then we're going to go to treating and either the provider organization doesn't know full well how to make sure all of this is managed in the back back end or as you stated it's just gibberish so we give the provider the ability to push the reset button at treatment intent and then everything is managed wholly and completely in one spot so that it's managed for and with the patient i got to tell you a quick story okay. this is to let you know how crazy it is, right? So the gibberish that comes after the diagnosis, the description of all these things that have to happen, one component of it is, oh, by the way, this is going to be really expensive. Your insurance company is probably not going to pay for all this, but there's help, right? Nobody's even hearing that. And if they try to describe it and the patient says yes, then sometimes things are getting written written down on a Post-it note. Well, I was in an office early on when we were absorbing workflow, when we were really deciding what we wanted to do with the technology. And I was in a workstation going from one to the next, watching it, writing down notes. And I bumped a computer screen and I knocked a post it note off of the screen. And the financial counselor flipped out, flipped out and said, That's whatever, Sally Jane's only record of the $25,000 copay award that I have for her. Literally, if she didn't see it get knocked on the floor, it was gone right? So it is absolutely critically important to understand exactly what you said. They hear gibberish, but then it's all gibberish as it does or doesn't get managed in the back end. And we do create that centralized location to give everybody the ability to pivot and then manage everything wholly and completely.
1: Is, is part of that providing um, uh, for patients a, a orderly process to help manage their disease? Um, and I say that because uh, a physician, you know, this might be the physician's, you know, a certain number of patients with this sort of disease and sort of knows what the path is going to be. Do you have in your software sort of a, a path that, the, 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 that would help a, stu- uh, help a patient know what's coming in terms of things that have to be done, what to expect on the life financial side uh, in, in addition to the medical side?
2: Yeah, you're either staring at our prototypes or you uh, you need to sign an NDA, and never, all of your listeners need to sign an NDA with me. Ultimately, what we're doing right now, Jonathan, mm-hmm. is financial assistance, okay. and every step that is required to manage the financial assistance that's available and make sure that it's utilized, billed against, and then it's paid – to, to again, make sure that the provider is whole and the patient doesn't have the financial burden is what we do right now. But what we're stepping into is the management of other administrative logistics. So you nail where we're going. It may sound really simple, what we're building, what we're in the process of building in in terms of version 2.0. By the way, our software is called AssistPoint. So AssistPoint 2.0, simply put, is a work list and tasking environment for the management of these administrative logistics I mentioned at the top. So ultimately, it is, yes, that work list, that tasking that needs to occur for every aspect of whether it be financial assistance, the remote nature of patients on oral therapeutics, cell and gene space, which is really complex, mm-hmm. and the testing, uh, diagnostics, and genomic profiling space. Yes. Those are the key areas that we'll be focusing on. And then as we focus on those areas and solve for those areas, we will be branching out into other administrative logistical areas. Now, we'll be able to expand rapidly once we shift to 2.0, because you know, those that are listening that know anything about tech, to make tech really simple you got to create spaces for it to work right and so we have to create spaces to allow for the management of things and we're going to do it in a very unified format where we can layer in right anything that has a process we're going to layer in as a work list and a tasking uh, and tasking elements to that so we'll be able to expand rapidly into other administrative areas. Like if one day we decide to solve for the logistics and administrative burden of clinical trials, we would be able to layer it in. The challenge with the clinical trials element is it's pre intention to treat typically. So that's a line that we're, we're right now walking around, right? Because the testing and diagnostic space is part of determining what's mm-hmm. next. So it's spaces and where those spaces exist in the software to determine what we can solve for next.
1: Excellent. And it sounds like your software is customizable for the people who do buy it, the hospitals or um, the pharma company to do it. And I, I want to hear more about that. But again, we need to take a break uh, for some underwriting announcements here at Health 411. You are listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077 thebronxcom And we'll be right back.
0: There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all new Health 411 underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing
1: 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronx.com. We're recording Health 411 from the Digital Bronx Studios. Welcome back. We want to continue our conversation with Joe Buffone the co founder and CEO of Anexus Health. We were hearing about Assist Point, and that's Anexus Health. This is a system of software and technology that helps uh, organize the patient care experience. And right now it's focusing on the financial aspects of things. And Joe was telling us about there's a potential for expanding that. and, and what I'm hearing before I, I, I lose my train of thought, um, it sounds like the experience, the data entry right now is on sort of the healthcare side or or the pharma side of managing this, not the patient side. So the patient is not sitting with the computer screen entering these things and putting in. It's all on the back end right now. Is that correct?
2: That's true. Yeah, it sits in. The provider's workflow, so yeah. that is absolutely true, and and I hope you're asking next, you know, what what does that look like for the patient and where we're going with that. So absolutely, you're correct, though.
1: Yeah, um, I also want to ask about that because you you in, in your remarks, you uh, I don't know if you meant to bring it up or it was just tangential. You mentioned that like the, the world of like uh, diagnostic medicine through genomics. Um, you didn't use those words, but you sort of were talking about that. And one of the big issues with that is um, uh, when it comes to data collection is privacy. Uh, who owns the stuff that's entered into your, 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 your software and wh- what kind of access do people have for that? Either, you know where yeah. I'm going with this.
2: Yeah, no, 100% and may I be a little cynical, when um, I say the federal government has defined it for us and okay. who owns the data is the patient. Okay. And I think that actually the final ruling on interoperability has made everything that we do a lot easier because all of us in this space, that are capitalists, and I don't want to say I'm the capitalist that wanted to put walls around data to make money on the backs of patients. That's not the thing that I ever desired to do, but that's what the space has done. So the final ruling on interoperability, basically sharing data so that the patient can own their data, data own their healthcare journey, it's a more informed healthcare system, has really solved a lot for us. So it's really a matter of making sure that you're HIPAA compliant, that your security is top notch, to be able to handle the requirements that the federal government has on handling patient healthcare information.
1: Well, it's great to hear that a, a, a tech company is not um, going to Googleize, <laughs> um, I, I made up that up, the information they collect, like which, which you collect information on people, then you sell it. Um, for whatever, whatever purpose of an alternative revenue stream. So um, the ethics behind what you're doing, it, it sounds great. Um, um, I also want to ask when, so one so of the- if th- I could, oh, yeah, so, go, go, Jonathan, go, go the one
2: thing I want to I say is that um, I just want to make sure and I don't cast aspersions related to monetizing anything. <laughs> I think it's what happens when you look at it in a way that I'm monetizing this, I'm going to own it, I'm going to put walls around it, and it has a negative impact. I think there's value in some of the things that we're doing from a data perspective that may play out down the road, but it's going to play out in a way where we are doing it in an appropriate way. We are not in any way, shape, or form putting walls around the data. We want to give access to it. Actually, we've been trying to impact policy. On things like accumulator programs and such, no matter where you sit in those things, we've been providing data to help make good decisions. Yes. Because I mentioned a good thing that the federal government did is made a decision around interoperability and sharing of patient healthcare data. But often the federal government is throwing darts, right, with no data. So I think there is a really good way to use data. I just want to say that whatever that looks like down the road, we don't have an actual plan for it right now. It will be with the priority of making sure whatever we do is helping the organizations we work with improve the way care is delivered.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and you bring up a really good thing because I would hope in the data collection of the patient care experience, part of that data collection that, that is recorded are, are outcomes. And people can learn by, by studying outcomes, and nobody in a doctor's office is expected to have the institutional memory of ha- remembering every single outcome that happens. And this is a huge data, you know, a huge database um, that can hopefully at some point be mined and studied. But I would hope that people wouldn't have to worry about. Um, Personal identification, where they can't get insurance down the road, and all those things that are happening are potential sure. problems with big data. Um, and so, I'm not trying to stop. And that's super this, this, important, yeah, right? To yeah, make sure everything yeah.
2: is de-identified and handled appropriately. Absolutely. A- absolutely.
1: 100%. And and part of that, and I have to ask, um, and it was sort of you you brought up your, your mother and your grandfather to start with. Um, is part of what you're doing is learning about best practice for different kinds of diagnosis that happen over time. Because you'll see if physicians prescribe this course of action, if it's followed, what is the outcome? If this other, because there are always options. If this course of action is followed, what is the, are the outcomes? Is that part of what the doctors get back and the medical services get back um, when they use um, assist point?
2: So, so our take on that is. Um, So best practice, I I love the the way you're using that term, It's, it's workflow and process, right? So I mentioned how fragmented and disparate the whole financial assistance world is and to manage it. So we started out as a tech company, right? We launched the services division, but as we were launching the services division, It was incumbent upon us to be a workflow expertise company. So we absolutely had to implement and share best practices associated with how some of the administration, administrative functions were managed related to the things that we do managing financial assistance. So yes, we are a best practices sharing company. We are a workflow expertise company. And so we're constantly sharing that and implementing that for the work we do with providers. Okay.
1: And and I have to come back to the financial side because you keep doing it and that's where your, where, where your expertise is. Um, for uh, right. I, on the, fi- on the uh, financial side, um, these issues of you know and uh, tracking patients what you called you know buy bill you know searching all the stuff are those, do, do those things in traditional practice are they barriers to healthcare care or in you know how patients are dealt with that that, that assist point so helps, helps I- overcome on that back end where physicians or companies might not want to do something because they're anticipating some of these administrative problems with getting paid or probability do, do you know what I mean
2: yeah, yeah. But, you know, we we all become a little squeamish when we talk about the economics of healthcare, but we shouldn't be. So ultimately, um, provider organizations, most of them, right? There's institutions and health systems that are not for profit, but we deal with a lot of for-profit organizations. And if they're not able to turn a profit, they have to close their doors, right? So we've seen consolidation. We've seen healthcare provider organizations go out of business. So the economics of healthcare are critically important. And yes, we are focused on solving for those things and improving the scenario related to how healthcare is delivered. And economics is an important part of it, right? Whether it be the provider needing to turn a profit so they can keep the door open, doors open or making sure that the patient can pay their bill so that they can get the care they deserve. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I'll, if I put on my my, my my business hat, you're maximizing the revenue stream for the providers of, of, of healthcare to patients. Is that, I mean, it's real. It's yeah, a, our our system is built on when that.
2: When I, you were asking me questions about you know, like my journey. So yeah. years and years and years and years and years ago, when I started, profit margins were much higher, right? Payer contracts, the federal government was paying um, at a much higher rate, and it was much easier to make profit and not be super sound in how you ran your business. From a provider perspe- perspective, a healthcare provider perspective, that's completely changed. The margins are razor thin, and if they're not getting what they've negotiated in terms of the pair contracts or what the federal government is supposed to pay or what the patient responsibility is supposed to be in all of this, then they will not be able to survive.
1: Wow. And, and, and um, wow. I mean, is that one of the reasons we see um, local and regional hospitals and healthcare settings shutting down? Is, is, is it because I of their failure to maximize revenue streams to be able to support themselves, even ones that have been around for, you know, 50 years?
2: Yeah, I, so I, I don't want to speak to every individual case, mm-hmm. but I can tell you healthcare economics for Provider organizations that are delivering care for patients is a major, significant mm. issue in the space. Absolutely, okay. is
1: that is that one of your approaches when you um, are making a sales pitch to a potential customer client? I'm not quite sure what you
2: call them. <laughs> you're, you're nodding, but yeah. yeah. So to provide yeah. to provider organizations, absolutely, yeah. our value one of our key values to them is the revenue stream that you described. Mm.
1: So do you also work sort of with the retail industry? Because I'm a pharmacy tech at CVS, and sometimes it's hard to find, you know, minimize the patient responsibility and find the best insurance, the best coupon for whatever medication we're selling.
2: Yeah, so we haven't branched into the retail setting because of where we've grown up in these specialty Mm -hmm. areas, right? So we are absolutely right now working with specialty pharmacies. So the CVSs, the Walgreens, even the smaller regional ones of the world, and really trying to figure out the best path and relationship, because ultimately, Specialty Pharmacy does a lot of what we do, right? So they get the requisition form sent to them, and then they have to do all of the work the provider organizations are doing, including finding financial assistance. So we absolutely see a massive opportunity with Specialty Pharmacy related to what we do.
1: Excellent. And um, Dan's giving me the signal here. We're going to, we have to end this this, sec, this segment, Joe. We'll, we'll be right back on Health 411 have to continue our conversation with Joe Buffone of Anexus Health. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronx.com. There's
0: no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health Minds Advancing Medicine.
1: 1077 the bronx 1077 the bronc.com. you're listening to help 411 which we're recording from the digital bronx studios i'm professor jonathan carp we are in conversation with joe Buffone, the co-founder and ceo of anexus health we are hearing that anexus health provides technology to help organize um, the patient care journey and right now the focus is on the financial aspects of that um, and this technology helps the providers of healthcare manage the patient experience. If people wanna learn more about Anexus Health and the, the, the technology that you offer, Joe, uh, what, where can they go? And I'll just say, I checked out your website and I know you have a YouTube channel that probably has a lot of videos on there. Can you tell us about that and find out more information?
2: Yeah, I think the best thing to do is to go to anexushealth.com. And I would, I, I guess I would just like to say, why should you go to nexushealth.com? Well, if you are a patient and, and you've had a cancer diagnosis or a complex disease state diagnosis and you want to know what's available out there for help, because when you go to your provider organization, maybe they're not giving you the help or they're not taking over the management of that financial assistance that's available out there. Or if you have a family member, um, I would say go to an If your provider is not helping you manage completely what's available from a financial assistance perspective, then just tell them about us. If you work for a pharmaceutical company or you know somebody that works for a pharmaceutical company, and all of these companies have access services. They have copay services. They have free drug services. And I can tell you that if they've been doing that job for a little while, they're really frustrated because they're n- those programs aren't utilized to the degree they should be. And it's because their programs aren't linked to and built into inherently the user experience at the provider level. So tell the life science company to check out our website and, and, and come see us. If you work for an institution or a health system, and you know, because in a lot of cases, those health systems and institutions aren't working, the financial assistance that's available, um, turn the you know C-suite onto us. So those are the reasons. If you care about the patient, um, that's why we're doing this. And you know patients that are being affected in a negative way related to the, the economic, um, decisions associated with their health care look our way okay.
1: now is a form of healthcare care assistance um, um, grants loans uh, f- free medicines what other what's what's the form of financial assistance or what's the breadth of it that you you offer people
2: yeah the main categories are the manufacturer direct so the, the pharma direct Copay programs are okay. very loose and wide open, but there's a requirements. So you have to have commercial insurance. If you don't have commercial insurance, there's a charitable foundation, there's many charitable foundations out there that provide assistance. They have different criteria, but it's copay assistance. It's assistance with what you can't afford, and they'll give you a basically funding a grant to help you with that. Free drug, so there's free drug available. through manufacturer programs if no option exists and the patient can't afford it. And then there's other services that are available to help providers get reimbursed for things, whether it be coding information or what have you, to help the provider ultimately get paid for when there's challenges, right? We've all had a a bill submitted to an insurance company and it get denied. Mm -hmm. Pharma provides some valuable services and people to help to make sure that everything's being coded correctly and managed correctly so that things get paid for so those are the main sources of assistance whether it be monetary or otherwise to help the provider get paid and the patient not have to basically
1: absorb the burden yeah. so so some of it is direct relief some of its efficiencies in terms of making sure everything's getting done um that's what i'm hearing am, yep. am i am i correct in that regard yes. okay now For sure. are you guys connected to like um all pharmaceutical companies all government assistant programs or are there limitations like of you know closed networks that you can't get into in that world
2: yeah, so from an assistance perspective, when we started to build this, one of the things that we, and I think you hit on it early, Jonathan, about what we do, we knew we needed to be comprehensive, right, because we wanted to put people in the seats. You know, the people in the seats are provider organizations and you know, providing healthcare, right, and the folks that use our software are, unless it's our people doing the work, it's financial counselors, it's farm techs, it's pharmacists, it's social workers, and what have you, so, um, I'm sorry, I just had a complete whiff on (laughs) what was your question about.
1: I was asking about the the, the breadth of options out there that your software collects So ultimately,
2: when we we stepped into it, we knew that we weren't going to get utilization unless everything that was available was within our software. And then we took it one step further because there's resources out there that are mostly comprehensive, but it's not. Real time. It's very delayed or it's antiquated or outdated. So we manage every single financial assistance option that's available in the 14 disease states that we participate in. So that's everything. That's every manufacturer program, every charitable foundation, anything that's available in this space. But not only do we make sure the content is whole as it relates to everything that's available. It really is as real-time as possible. So within five minutes of any change that occurs, our users are notified and our software is updated. And that's the, really the front-end magic of what we do. That's really difficult from a tech and a people and a finance perspective to pull that off.
1: Oh, that that, that certainly is, even one who's used to looking at Clinical studies often they're already closed <laughs> before the, you even find you even you even find
2: them. Um, so, you know, I had a I had a situation where I was staring at our switch just to see how things were working, mm-hmm. and we had a lung cancer fund open and closed within eight minutes. So, if you're not really effective, right, it's going to be hard wow. in that. Even if you're really effective, but we literally have some funds that open and close within minutes, right? Another one I remember was like a breast cancer fund, 28 minutes. So if you're not sitting on the switch or you don't have the technology like ours that's sitting on the switch for you, you're not getting the funding.
1: Right. And, or you don't have, I'm assuming you have like pop-up things. So when it opens, the people who have patients, it, it would pop up.
2: Do this. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yep. So it, it sounds, to this is a big tech investment for the background software to do all this. Um, um, Did you and Brad like just fund this out of your huge pharma salaries or, or did you have to go into the world of like venture capital and like raise the money to, to do
2: this? I, I'm, yeah, I'm not falling into that, that trap. Jonathan, I'm not falling into that trap. So, I don't um, mean the trap you. I'm just curious. Boot, yeah, we did some bootstrapping. Okay. We did a seed round. We did a series A round and then we just this past year completed a series B that has a syndicate that is uh, attaching to it that will be closing in the second quarter of this year. Okay. So, what, so yeah, we've 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 had another full-time job throughout the yeah. process so, to raise money.
1: And and I ask not not the pro like the details of it, but it, it, it sounds like you were part of that is selling this idea to the people with deep pop deep pockets who know this sort of industry who see this is sort of a, a a wave of the future in a way that will make money for them and, you know, help people as well.
2: Yeah, 100%. You've got yeah. to be really tight on not only what your pitch is, but what you're doing with your business, how you're tracking, how you're analyzing, how you're making sure everything is really tight for the investors to get under the hood and then pour into and invest in this Wonderful thing we're doing.
1: Excellent. Um, and I certainly hope as Ryder has a new computer science major here, and as they start pouring out people into the programming world, I'm hoping uh, companies <laughs> um, like Inexus Health will will, will look at Ryder and at least to talk to some of these people to see if they can help build this product. Because it sounds like this is something, it's not a one and done. This is a constant evolving product that's going to exponentially grow as the, as the customer's needs grow.
2: I love the sound of that. And um, I can tell you that at the center of what we do is people, right? Not just patients, but people in our company. You know, we've been growing very rapidly and we can have the best ideas as an organization. Our entire team has all kinds of ideas. The ideas and the thoughts for what you're solving for, there's so many great ideas out there that have failed, right? You guys know that. And the reason they fail is because of people. Right. So we want the best people. I want partners. I don't want just people or people that are interested in, you know, just just going in and going through the motions. If you guys turn out people that care and want to make a difference, oh, I'd love to talk to them.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's nice to hear that in the world, especially when some famous tech CEOs like the Elon Musk's of the world are um, are not. Are not uh, I, I can say not people friendly, <laughs> so you're not you're yeah, not trying to build no, that kind of, that kind of company. So, just out of no, curiosity, no as we're wrapping up, where did the name annexis come from?
2: Connectivity. It's Latin for connectivity. Mm, interesting. So, at the center of what we do is is connectivity. We connect to provider systems. We connect to pharma. We connect patients. We connect providers to valuable resources and services. So, connectivity. Excellent.
1: That, that's actually a, a, a nice way to, to sort of con- conclude our conversation. Thank you, Joe. This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, we have Joe Buffon, co-founder and CEO of Anexus Health. Um, thank you so much for joining us on Health 411 at Rider University. Uh, this is 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronx.com. We're recording live from the digital Bronx studios. Thank you for listening. This program is part of Capital Health and Rider University's efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of health and healthcare. Again, I want to thank Joe Buffone, co founder and CEO of Anexus Health. Um, we hope today's conversation has given uh, all our listeners something to think about, about using technology and uh, technology services for helping patients in the healthcare setting. If you have questions and or comments about this program or want to make suggestions for future broadcasts, please email us at health411 at rider.edu.
0: Remember, you have a doctor's appointment scheduled for every Sunday at 10 a.m. Don't miss the all-new Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Carp and our expert medical guest from Capital Health. You can listen to Health 411 anytime on demand. Go to 1077thebronc.com/health411 to listen to past episodes or tune in every Thursday at 9am to hear the weekend rewind edition of Health 411. Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology.